This is Up The Creek, the definitive Jonathan Creek podcast with your host, my good friend, Daniel Krupa, and me, Gav Murphy. Today, dead bodies are falling from the sky. Well, out of wardrobes, actually, to be precise. So in every episode of this podcast, we analyze Jonathan Creek via the effect, the method, and the reveal. Daniel, what is the effect of the reconstituted corpse? Plastic surgeon David Kirchin is killed at home. (laughs) The suspect is his former lover and patient, Zola. Not saying her last name. But soon after finding an alibi, her body mysteriously appears in Maddie's new wardrobe. (laughs) This is one of my favorite episodes. Is it? Yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. Because it's... You could work it all out, but there's no possible way that you would. And sometimes in all murder shows, Jonathan Creek especially, but other stuff as well, when everything is given to you, but the the ending is something that you couldn't work out, that's actually quite unsatisfying. But I think with this, the actual truth and what happens is so impressive as, like, you're actually thinking about someone coming up with that is so impressive that I'm just never asked. So... <laughs> so what you were saying your perfect jonathan creek experience is through mm. the duration of the episode you think you're jonathan but you end up yeah. as maddie yeah <laughs> uh, because like but it's genuinely impressive i think it's so well this watching this again it really reminds me of the first episode mm. where it's just somebody in search of an alibi it's not yeah. a jonathan creek problem at all and it yeah. does start off as just a straight up maddie mcgallan case there's yeah. actually no reason for Jonathan to get involved apart from no. she quite fancies seeing him. And then suddenly yeah. with the, the wardrobe turn, it becomes a Jonathan Creek problem. First of all, we've got the problem of how Curtin was killed because that's set up in such a really lovely way where particularly with the earring, like the earring with the DNA, is such a lovely little thing, the clue that's found on the outside because you just go, they explain it away straight away in a really satisfying way and you think like maddie's actually oh my god maddie's actually explained that one away herself and it's really good and there's even a scene later on where she's talking to jonathan and she's like yes i'd already worked that out thank you well he kind of gives her a bit more standing and chops and you can see what she's been doing with her career because in the first episode straight away yeah because in the first episode like is she good at her job people do come to her she has got people off sometimes they turn out to be killers admittedly yeah And to be honest, her track record isn't great with this episode as well. But (laughs) she likes to think people are innocent. And you can't fault her, even if they're murderers. Uh, (laughs) Um, Zola is a wild character. Zola is a wild character. The whole thing um, between her and the plastic surgeon is amazing. It's so Um, hot. When you're on the TV show at the beginning, (laughs) when he comes on, mate, don't sound like you're going to murder her. God help me. As I made you, I'll destroy you at any cost. And that's a promise. At any cost. Who says that anyway? (laughs) It's so good. Um, There's an amazing bit as well. The daughter in this particularly makes me laugh all the way through it because she's all over the place. To the point where I've seen this episode so many times and... (laughs) I forgot if she was in on it or not at the beginning. Because I was like, actually, I was like, I can't remember if she is in on it or not. Um, but there's an amazing bit when Zola comes back from the recording. That god awful man. What happened? I knew this would happen. What happened? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Also, her daughter has um, 
when the a DNA is found on the earring, and she obviously can't believe that her mum has murdered someone, she gives yeah. the best summary of what I think a Jonathan Creek problem is. She says, this is just like something seriously weird's going on here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Call Jonathan. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we've got the Kirchin murder. Uh, so, but... And Zola desperately needs an alibi for that. But then, in the middle of all this, somehow Zola's corpse ends up in a wardrobe in Maddie Magellan's house. It's insane. But what I think this does a brilliant job of is it melds the weird, funny storyline of Maddie going on a blind date Mm. with this weird, unexpected, actual Jonathan Creek case that appears in the middle of the episode. Yeah, the thing that I really like about it as well is, and they do it quite a lot in Jonathan Creek, and then they undo it, which is to invent this other party, this other bad person. Mm. Because at no point when you're watching this, when you first see Zola, at no point, because of the way they sort of reveal things to you, at no point you think she was there by her own accord. Mm. You think the, sh- the body has been placed there, mm. um, which I think is really, really good because they invent this person. Like A lot of the time, it's people threatening them. Yeah, um, and it's a proper bit of magic, the the, the body materialising in an empty cabinet. Like, a wardrobe by another name is a cabinet. Um, I think that's why that aspect of the episode is really strong. Okay, so the method is Zola did murder Kirchin, but that earring that was left at the scene was a mistake, uh, and she doesn't have an alibi at all. So her and her manager managed to come up with the fake tape and this ruse of the peeping Tom to shock people, but they give Maddie the wrong evidence and need to get that evidence back, which is how Zola ends up there having an aneurysm in the cupboard it's, uh, it's an absolute shambles <laughs> it's just a litany of mistakes and people like just pivoting at the time if you're gonna yeah. murder him mm. the earring is quite foolish why is she worn such a mad earring because that earring looks like it should be at a ball and she's yeah. worn it to go murder someone why is she murdering him yeah why is she murdering him to be fair i know I he's like... threatened her on tv but yeah. do you think it's one or the other <laughs> I'm ready for you murder me. What you should do is, like, if that manager is in love with her so much, and I'm pretty sure she knows that he's in love with her, get the manager to go do it while you're hanging out in the house with your daughter. Do your alibi beforehand. Because, yeah, because they arranged Manny to come on, so they find this tape that shows that she was at home on the night because she's watching the TV that Maddie also watches. So it's kind of a quite an ingenious thing to have done, even though they present it in quite a crude and botched way. But this is the this is the fulcrum of this. They give Maddie the the Scotch video cassette that has all the episodes that she plays on the TV, rather than the peeping Tom tape. Why are you putting that? Wh- what are you doing? Why are you not getting rid of that fake tape? Are they even like? Are they even bring that up in the episode because they know the people like us are going to be talking about? That's like it's like it's quite careless. But then to be fair, everything they've done since the beginning, everything they've done in the beginning is quite careless, isn't it? Um, leaving that tape around, leaving an earring at the scene again, like police wise, like stupid police, they just go. Are they not taking that as evidence that she was there? They just go, oh no, she she said she hasn't got that one of those earrings in her collection, and he probably put DNA on it. They're like, oh yeah, probably that then. There you go. Done. I like what they find the um the camcorder in the garden. It's like Maddie's like, we'll be careful of fingerprints. Next scene, she's just jamming cables in it. 
This is the weird thing about... Um, so we'll get onto the War of Job in a second because that's the one that has more Jonathan clues. It's weird when they, when they regale at the end about the mix-up of the cassettes. They're like, oh, we realised we had to get it back fast. So the next day... Yeah! <laughs> I wrote that down. <laughs> I'll be running. I'll be like running after it, going, "Oh no, no, no! That's my wedding video." Yeah, and also the fact that he rang to make sure she wasn't home, and just because she didn't pick up the phone, he's like, "Well, no one's there. Coast's clear. Go round." Like, there's so many. Like, they are. To be fair, they are rubbish to the point where the fact that she went and did the murdering in the first place is so stupid. That. Oh, but then maybe she wanted to be the one that pulled the trigger because she yeah. seems like quite a baddie. Because like... we don't know what else he'd done to her. Like he seems very manipulative and extremist. Yeah, like coaching dude. Um, yeah. So let's get <laughs> on to the actual more Jonathan Creek component. So the method of this is they go back to retrieve the tape. She yeah. she goes up to the top floor, mm-hmm. goes through a shared window, climbs into Maddie's spare room, <laughs> dis- ditches the tape. But suddenly, yeah. Maddie's coming in with this wardrobe that's being moved yeah. in. So she hides in the spare room. They bring the wardrobe in there. She gets in. And then we find yeah. out earlier that day, she suffered a severe head injury. So she has an aneurysm mm. while in the wardrobe. Why chuck that tape away? I just don't get that. Just in case you were found. But she's got a bag on her. But also, I really like the idea that Maddie is so fully involved in this that he has to come and it doesn't seem like it's an excuse to calling her up calling him up um, but jonathan does it really good bits all the way through this where he's shouting out the clues to, to the audience quite a lot and you can see him struggling with them but while he struggles with them as the audience you're just getting battered over the head with them being like you should be able to work this out battered over the head just like zola yeah, just like zola well, he uses this analogy in this episode where he talks about points on a graph. Yeah, That's what he keeps saying, I'm finding these points, and when we put them on a graph, we'll yeah. see the picture. I, every time that I re-watch Jonathan Creek and I see that, I'm always annoyed that that doesn't come back as a thing. Mm. Like, it doesn't come back as, like, his little catchphrase or something. Like, points on a graph, Maddie, like, or something like, like that. Like, you know we're looking for doves up a sleeve. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's really, really, because that's such a really good thing, because he's like, what does that mean? He's like, well, nothing, it's just a point you, on a graph. Because you don't have context. You can't see a yeah. pattern without them plotted. Yeah, I do like that. So the the main clues, we've got a bent pipe. Yeah. Well, actually, let's go back one more um, to mm. the clue with the fake tape. Yes. The big one for him is asking Maddie if she knows the difference between a tracking shot and a pan. You think he was over six feet, do you? Interesting. What's that supposed to mean? This is the one in this that I do have a problem with. Yes, me too. Because while it's a good theory that actually someone on a box um, would pan... Uh, whereas if you were if you were there and you were tall enough, you would walk along with it. I don't think I would. No, you wouldn't. When they show the footage, it's way easier yeah. just to pan. It's not like a huge house. I wonder if this thing, if it made sense when you wrote it, but the staging and the size of the house does not make it realistic. Absolutely. And I think, like again, like we mentioned in previous episodes, where I think now and again, they come up, they need something else they need more meat on the bones so Mm. i think something like that kind of adds that but as soon as you see the house which is just encompassed by all these different trees yeah all i'm all i'm thinking to myself is like how much of a pain in the ass it would be to follow her like if i'm a peeping tom what i want what i'm trying to get out of this situation (laughs) is here we go like that's the thing it's like what i'm trying to why am i a peeping tom in the first place why am i filming her because i want to get loads of awesome footage of her ass so i can (laughs) 
pleasure myself to later on. So I'm not going to risk having to like run through loads of different trees and getting fucking leaves and shit like coming into shot, am I? By running alongside the wall. You just wouldn't do that. Yeah. Lots of... Um, we we talked before about Maddie and circumstantial evidence and things like that. It's like, does Maddie not think for a second that it's what a coincidence that she, an investigative journalist, is called round to the house and she finds a magic piece of the puzzle that all of a sudden gives Zola her alibi? Maybe she thinks she's wicked. That's like that's what I do. Get the floor show. Look at the TV, the programs that were on each channel. Don't you see what this is? This is proof. You were at home Thursday night. Zola, this is your alibi. Can you imagine Zola and her manager at that point when it's just like, this has gone perfectly. <laughs> yeah, this has gone perfectly. Which tape do you give him? Bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> Done the hard bit. Why did you let the daughter give him the tape? Yeah, they have come up with a good alibi. But if if you're if you're the main murder suspect, right, uh, in a big murder, and days later, after not being able to come up with an alibi, you suddenly appear at the police station with the perfect alibi. Mm. If I'm the police, I'm thinking, hang on a minute, what's going on here? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So... It does helps. It definitely helps them sell it as a more authentic yeah. alibi. For sure. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like Maddie found it. And then we get onto the clues regarding the wardrobe. We've got the mm. bent pipe outside of Maddie's spur bedroom window. And yeah. I love how he refers to it. The head of Mrs. Barnstable's geranium. Yeah. It sounds like a Sherlock Holmes or maybe a Midsummer <laughs> Mystery. <laughs> it really does, yeah. Yeah, because anytime he refers to the geranium, it's Mrs. Barnstable's it's geranium. The, it's, the head of, it's the curious case of the head of Mrs. <laughs> Barnstable's geranium. Yeah. Um, I yeah I even though I really like that I always thought that it was uh, slightly messy that in this all of this we have two clues that are pipes yeah one is covered in blood and one is bent <laughs> yes yeah, so we have the bloody pipe then that's also found at Zola's um, house but also remember such a big part of this has been that so much of Zola's DNA is floating about. They're really careful when they say about the, the pipe. Going, but it had iron filings that matched her head. And you're like, okay, right. It's definitely the pipe that killed her then. We're not... That's yeah, yeah that's, that's the one. And the This epi- person with all these buckets of DNA is not still out there chucking it on pipes. <laughs> uh, and, the, and the epiphany that portrays this one all together for Jonathan is he's mm. um, examining the wardrobe and Maddie says, what rubbish are you talking now? <laughs> it wouldn't work if he was American. It really uh, wouldn't. Uh, so he immediately then goes, that's why the head of the geranium was cut off. It's because she dropped the tape down from the bedroom window, decapitating on the way, and the fake tape of all the TV shows was found in a bin bag. Yeah. The way they watch that tape as well, it's like they're watching the video from the ring. Yeah. It really freaks me out because you just see the shot of them watching it. You don't, they don't reveal this to you then. Why is it? Um, but when it comes to the reveal, uh, <laughs> the way that they catch her manager out. This is fantastic. Um, this is proper bit of magic. <laughs> I love this. It is. And I think this is a really good thing because it's very, very British. But um, 
that is the way that he does it with a, uh, getting someone to read out something and give you the information, but you've got a pencil underneath your thumb. That is an actual magic trick. That's yeah, it's how called, a it's lot called, of tricks are done. It's called a swami gimmick. And yeah. it was basically stems from 19th century spiritualism when people mm. were used to write on slate boards and oh, what are yeah. they saying? And you're writing it as they say it. David Blaine uses quite a lot of that because um, you can see him talking to them, but he his thumb is just writing the number of the card. And he's just like, obviously that's how it's done. And then, but yeah. it, again, go back to the things. Like when you find out, you're like, yeah. You're show show me before I say it. But then those are people, as we know from previous discussions, those are the people without wonder in their hearts, Gav. Exactly. I think like in any good murder show, you have to have like the room where everyone is sitting. It's Poirot sitting down and telling everyone. And I think this bit is really, really good. The thing that <laughs> I can't help but notice now, every time I, I watch this episode, when they show the video of Zola, Zola presses the buttons on the oh. for, on the fake video in such oh. a mad pronounced way that you would never, ever do. You like, change the channel, are you? Yeah, because I even um, check to see if Maddie does it. Because when Maddie is doing the same uh, changing of the channel before Zola's interview earlier in the episode, I even check to see if she does it in a wild way, but she doesn't. She does it in an absolute natural human way. And then when Zola's doing it, she's like putting out, outstretching her arm, pressing at the telly, it's bringing her arm quite a back. Good clue, then isn't it? Because she is massively <laughs> overacting. Yeah. So she, if you were maybe, if you picked up at that as being weird when you first see the tape, you're like, no one changes channel like that. I think in all of this, it is a really interesting thing to be like, I don't see the stupid things as plot holes i see it as these are people these are two killers who are not killers they're not trained yeah. killers and they're thinking on their feet and they're getting stuff wrong and they're fucking up every single step of the way which for me is actually rather than being infuriated it's actually really realistic they're not trained killers not like alan rocksmith exactly <laughs> does it make sense though like you said i think it's a crime of passion i think she did want to kill him yeah and I think it wasn't a planned out murder. I think after that TV interview, she's just lost it. And she goes, he's going to kill me. Yeah. I'm going to kill him first. Mm. Um, I think most of it holds together. I do think the tracking shot versus pan. Yeah. I don't like how Jonathan believes that so absolutely. I don't feel like he's someone who would couldn't see the alternative there. And I do, th I do think that's maybe a problem between script and actually filming it, where the house doesn't work for that detail. Yeah, I think, I think that is a actual problem. That is where you, Jonathan should be able to see every single angle. So to pick up something that is actually not that watertight and run with it so absolutely, it kind of undoes Jonathan a little bit. And we've seen it in like the previous episode with the light bulb thing, like that becoming such a big thing. Um, so that slightly failing on this episode, but I think the way that it all hangs together, and when you see her get into that. Uh, <laughs> Like, you know, she's thinking on her feet, get into the wardrobe that's being pushed in. Also, when you watch back that wardrobe thing, Maddie doesn't help with that wardrobe whatsoever. Anna. That poor guy is getting stuff up there. Uh, and it's like, it's, I feel really sorry for him. Uh-huh. Just against this wall for now. Oh, what can I say? You're a trooper. Okay, Daniel, in all of this episode, what do you think is the thing that's dated the most. So for me, it's people not understanding DNA. Nobody has a clue. It, it's, it's 1997. It's not... DNA's been around for a while, but being used in maybe police um, detection. People call it genetic material. They call it cell yeah. tissue. 
They call it, it's a, it's a, and then he goes, oh, it's a bit lumpy as an explanation. What, hard DNA evidence? Yeah. And she goes, oh, who goes to all the trouble? What, of planting DNA evidence? People talk about it like it's just witchcraft. Yeah, it's kind of really, really strange that. That is fair enough. I guess, like, this is before CSI. Well, so I think it's that thing, modern detective fiction has to deal with two things, mobile mm. phones and DNA. And yeah. they're a real kicker when it comes to making murder mysteries. I think the thing for me that's dated the most is the discussion of plastic surgery. Because it really felt like mm. in in the 90s, plastic surgery was always like a thing that was spoken about. And like, so-and-so's had plastic surgery. Um, and I, you do still get that to an extent now. But I kind of feel like people are less into it because it's less of a new thing. Yeah, and also maybe less the domain of the super rich than it was in the late 90s where it was just like, ugh. You can afford to do that. There's a lot of really British stuff in this, but what's what's your most British thing? One four seven one. I think we got. Let's, a, yeah, that, that's my last one. Let's put the one side. One four seven one is ridiculous <laughs> as a concept. So if you don't know, if you put one four, I don't know if it still works actually. If you put one four seven one into a British telephone, it tells you the yeah. last number that dialed your house. Yeah, and as a and kid, one four seven one three, it would ring you back straight away. As a kid, that made me feel like a spy. Yeah. Finding that out in Jonathan Creek. But also, mobiles don't register on it. Yeah, that is really strange. I remember you could dial, if you dialed 141, that's how you get around 1471. Yes, I in remember America, that as well. Yeah. In America, it was star 69. So if you dialed, if, if instead of 1471, you dialed star 69. And then that I think that's in the grot cabinet, thing. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I put, so British things. I think there's one that we'll both talk about. Um, okay. Maddie's eating a lion's jam tart. <laughs> and a little incidental detail that actually might come on later but did you notice on maddie's fridge what she wrote in alphabetic ma- magnetic letters no just says maddie oh <laughs> that's quite cute but yeah i'm that gonna say really jam good. tarts jam tarts um mine is uh the phrase watched her on the box that's referring good. to the tv as the box that's very good <laughs> i felt like that was like a cool 90s slang uh, for TV, um, to, where, watch it on the box. On the box, like, it's, really good. it's one of those things that like no one says in real life. You can't say, but it they now, do say it on TV. Watch it on yeah. the th- thin rectangle. <laughs> yes, yeah, not the same thing, is it? Um, um, but I, I think like the the most beautiful British thing in all this oh. is the pub that they go to that she goes on the blind date for. Um, that it really reminds so me. Sad. I know. Oh, you gonna say really... which pub it reminds you of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it really reminds me of the old red lion in Angel. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, Reminds me a bit of the Jon Snow as well in Soho. Yeah, 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 I can see that. Like bit. Yeah, the partitions. um, Because the old red lion uh, in Angel, which is one of the... uh, When I first moved to London, one of my mates, Shep, he ran it. So it's it's a beautiful pub as well, because upstairs there's a theatre, and then downstairs um, it's this really old pub. And it's got those little uh, glass bits, it's got little booth bits, and it's got a really, really nice bar bit. It's a beautiful pub. It feels like a real British pub on TV. Some might say by Oasis on the on the radio as well. Oh, in there, nineteen ninety seven. Amazing. Oh, <laughs> you're you're after your ninety six. Memory sticks strong. <laughs> I really love uh, the order that she does, though. Like, it's wild. Because it's, it's good because it's kind of like joking. She's like, oh, I'm not even hungry. I don't even know where I want. And she has a very specific order. Drop a chili will do me with some rice. A spot of salad. Some garlic bread. A jacket potato. Oh, and some crisps. But also, 
weirdly non-specific. She goes, and some crisps. I'm not being funny, but any good pub, and this is a good pub, if you just said, can I get some crisps, the bar people would be like, we got like 40 different flavours. I know a British person is not specifying what crisps they want. Exactly, yeah. Like, I thought that was really weird. But also, the strange thing as well, they go through the rigmarole of explaining that Jonathan and the date want a vegetable lasagna. But when Jonathan orders it, he just says, lasagna? Mate, you're getting a meat lasagna. Yeah. Because anyone, any pub, any British pub that does a vegetable lasagna also does a meat lasagna. And the only reason I know that is because they've been forced to do the vegetable one. They really wanted to do the meat one. Especially in 1997. Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe Jonathan's setting up another restaurant-based trick. (laughs) And obviously, this was we just said this was done in 1997. So sometimes things happen in 1997 that are not okay now. So, but considering there's so much talk about plastic surgery and about the female form and stuff, it's very little that I could. I was like, it's all right about the one thing that I I generally was like, is that all right? Isn't she on like quite a serious current affairs program? And they turn it into a Jerry Springer episode because they just go, you know, your enemy who you hate and you've written a book about how much you hate him. Well, he's here tonight. Yeah, it's like, that's she... not all right, is it? And he's and he's insane. <laughs> yeah. And he really wants to kill you. So <laughs> um, I don't think that's all right. So the one I had was, I think after Zola's dead, they're speculating on who might have murdered her. And her manager or agent positions, one or two of the more militant feminists have been in touch in the past yeah. few weeks. They weren't very nice people. Doesn't mean, yeah. doesn't mean I'm going to kill her. Also, he doesn't even, because I was like, when I was writing that down, I was, when I was watching it, I was like, oh, is he going to say something really not on about feminism now? But he doesn't, he goes, they weren't nice people. It's like, yeah, you've not said we've had death threats from them or anything like that. But they probably could have killed her. Yeah. Because if you're a militant feminist, oh, you could... Murder on the mind. I don't think it is quite in this episode, but I I think you're almost laying some of the groundwork in this episode of slight fat shaming Maddie. It's not quite in this episode yet, but it is laying the groundwork. Yeah, everyone can order, but Jonathan kind of just has a little smile. But then he also like really smiles at her when she puts her banana in a coffee. I think there's an episode coming up. I think you know which one I mean, where it's a bit too much. All right, um, let's open up the grot cabinet. Like, forgetting about the bit where you see a bit of the daughter's bum um, because Zola and her daughter have been sharing... Uh, the guy, what's his name? You've written at the top here. Oh, he's called Rudy. Rudy. <laughs> yeah, Rudy. And they've both been having sex with him. And she says, It's no different to me than lending her my car for yeah, the I've weekend. <laughs> Which I love. But Rudy himself says just a weird thing where they're talking about earring. I've never seen Zola wearing that earring. Bless him, and he would know. I like to lick around them with my tongue. Why are you licking someone's earring? That's got like flesh on it going through. Like it's an open wound, essentially, Rudy. Rudy you're licking. You dirty get. There's also a really weird description of Rudy that I don't understand. They, they refer to him as he's like Judas Iscariot with highlights. What does that mean? I really don't get that. I don't what even do? understand what that's trying to go for. That he's untrustworthy. Yeah, is it because he's having sex with both of them? Because he's got to be what was Judas shagging Jesus? You they were doing all sorts back then. Um, yeah, that's really really strange. <laughs> the only I I put this in because it's made me laugh when the daughter Victoria is referring to the peeping Tom. Can you believe some sad specimen goes out at night taking these pictures? He wants his whammer shutting in a door. <laughs> whammer. I don't think I've ever heard a penis be called a whammer <laughs> before or since. Also, another set of boobs in uh, Jonathan Creek episodes. <laughs> What's that? Uh, two and three. Like, 
Yeah, it might be like a photo of one. But it's been a bit of boob we got. And, and, um, and for 12 and 13-year-old <laughs> Gavin Dan. <laughs> that did the job. That did the job. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Let's let's shut let's shut the grot cabinet on that one and move on to the romance update with Jonathan and Great Randy. I think we this. should we need Yeah, it is really good to be fair. She's organized the date in the pub next door to where they're doing a magic show at the moment. Like it's so on the nose, it's so over the top. Yeah, I really um, like in this episode, that's why she gets back in touch. You think about why they keep getting put back in touch. This one mm. is not because of the crime. Yeah, because at that point she just thinks she knows the alibi and she she's got it. Also, it's her regular day job. She don't need Jonathan for this one. She wants yeah. to see him and she wants yeah. to make him jealous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's also quite nice as well as like the man that she's dating has just left her house when she find like has just left her house. She's not looking for comfort in him, and he's there. She's looking for comfort in Jonathan Creek, which is really really nice. Um, but I like it. Like their relationship is a little bit more playful. Um, I really like that bit. Um, in the pub, which he's like, oh well, he would have had all sorts of DNA on it. She's like, yes, I'd already managed to work that out. Thank you. And it's kind of like this really nice Why little playful. Because he bit. says he sees the book in her. Because he asks her about the quest. Something for him mm. to latch onto because he knows he might be needed, perhaps. Yeah. I don't know if you notice I, this because he feels quite confident with Maddie more and more so. Yeah, and we definitely. talked about in the first episode in the pilot how he is with women, a bit, bit awkward. Did you notice mm. when the waitress comes over to take the order, he really clams up with her, with the waitress? No. He gets really awkward with her. He's like, oh, really? Yeah, yeah he kind of goes back to Jonathan episode one, scene one. Yeah, that's really good. My my favorite thing is like I feel like he's getting a little bit more confident though with Maddie because um, this is an amazing bit where he's when he's brought in and he's having a look around the wardrobe. No panels, no breakaways, no phantom joints. Just a wardrobe, really. Do you want to know how it was done? Yes. That makes two of us. I like that she calls. I, lo- I love that she calls him when she's scared. <laughs> yeah. Um, I um, I wrote down. So she says this to um, her agent at the beginning of the episode. She says, I've got this theory that Jonathan Creek is an illusion. Just when you think you've found him, he drifts through your fingers like smoke. And then at the end of the episode, there's this one line that I think is actually a brilliant bit of writing. She says, Mm -hmm. I can see you, but you're still impossible. What a line. That is. Look at the X-Files, let me tell you. (laughs) Chris Carter is crying at that line. He's just... Yeah. That, do you know what? I've, I wrote it down. It didn't really fit into anything. But like, you know the shot when she's talking to her manager and she and she's like, it's no use, Barry. I've got to get that wardrobe. And she walks off. Mm. The entire scene is played out over the manager's shoulder. Mm. He's out of focus. She's in mm. focus. He's And then he picks up the phone. Like, that's a beautiful little shot. It's a good shot, bit of staging, that, is. that, isn't it? Like, you've really, not knocked really that together. Good. Although it yeah. definitely sounds like they haven't turned his mic on at the beginning of that scene. But yeah, I think it's it's a nice. It does move them along a little bit. We don't get, which is really strange. We don't get a little Maddie and Jonathan like Coda no. at the end of this. Like it ends after the reveal. Yes, Gavin. It is weird how we don't have a little Maddie and Jonathan Coda at the end of it. But we're coming from the future. Is this the? It would be the future we're coming into this. Yeah. From, right. I mean, it's from a position of knowledge which is basically time travel um when you think about it yeah we're jumping back in here because when we originally watched a lot of these episodes we were watching them on in the uk on netflix uk um what we've since come to realize is on quite a few episodes 
and we realized this while we were recording the podcast so we did do a switch before other episodes but what we came to realize was netflix had some weird cuts who's doing this some reason they did i have no idea um so we then switched over to watching them all on the iplayer no harm was done for a lot of the episodes. Yeah, it's not it's, it's not like they're, they're cutting out reveals. No, that's the thing, though. I feel like I don't know what they're cutting because they, it's not for grot. It, it's not, it can't be for time because there's a lot more grotty, long things on Netflix than Jonathan. Well, you, otherwise, Adam wouldn't exist. Yeah, exactly. It's like 20-minute episodes. <laughs> it's like, hasn't Jonathan got a job? So why is this coda cut? Well, so in this episode, not only is this little coda cut, um, but another scene... In the middle is cut, which is huge for Johnny and Maddie's relationship, as well as an entire B storyline about an elephant dying. Is That's it because entirely it... cut from the Netflix episode? Animals, animal cruelty. <laughs> yeah, is that maybe. why? No, I'm just literally trying to figure out why it might be cut. Does Netflix have certain rules around the animal cruelty? I don't know. I I'm like not saying the BBC stuff. Yeah, I'm not saying the BBC's up for it because I think <laughs> I think Attenborough would have a word. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think like Netflix, uh, BBC have all those warnings at the beginning of 90% of their shows being like, look, we know this isn't on, but we're presenting it as a time capsule of what was going on at the time, all right? It's like the thing that comes before the Mad Men uh, blacking up episode. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Or so, Warner Brothers yeah, cartoons. Yeah. So in this, we have an entire storyline about an, uh, Adam essentially murdering an elephant. Um, doesn't really have a massive bearing on what we think of Adam Klaus as a person, personally. Um, but the thing that we do get is Maddie and Jonathan's first kiss. And that's cut from Netflix. And that's cut from the Netflix version. I feel um, robbed. It's odd, isn't it? Because like that would affect your reading on everything else. Subsequent episodes, massively. I, you know what? Yeah. I'm going to say it now. I'm glad Netflix lost the rise. <laughs> if they're gonna, If they're going to butcher... Yeah, episode three um, of Jonathan Creek like that. They deserve not to have it on their platform. So the scene that we're, t- we're going to jump back in here to talk about, because it does have a bearing on the you know Johnny and Johnny Johnny and Maddie's relationship update, is the fact that Shelford, played by Nigel Planer, comes back round to Maddie's house. Um, he's bought her some underwear, knocks on the door, and she's trying to get rid of him. She's she's pretty mean to him, to be fair, uh, and. What she does is, Jonathan comes around and she just starts getting off with Jonathan as a way of kind of showing Shelford she's not interested anymore. Not that I think she ever was in the first place anyway. And the other thing is, I'm already sleeping with Jonathan. Where have you been? Love rocket, come here and give me your tongue. And she just jumps on him. Has an amazing kiss with him and then it's kind of like it starts off like fake passionate but the interesting thing about it is it soon starts to slow down and it soon turns into like real passion and it's not it really isn't played over the top either where they kind of both look at each other and are like oh my god there is actually something there it's just kind of it's quite obvious to anybody watching that they're both really enjoying this kiss would you what do you think the characters or the actors <laughs> a bit of both, I think, um, which I think is really good. But it was interesting as well. Because, so we, we see their first kiss. It's played for a laugh. Um, but I think it's a really good way of showing a first kiss because otherwise you've got this entire build-up all the time going like, oh, what's their first kiss? Yeah, like, like, what's the, it kind of know? cuts it to the chase and then you realise, yeah. oh, my God, there is actual sexual chemistry here. 
Exactly, yeah, which I think is is really, really nice. Um, and then we get this wild little ending then, which I wish we could go back and see the Netflix version because it feels like it would end really abruptly without this ending. And to be fair, we do call that out, but I feel... I don't yeah. even know how they cut to the theme tune on the end of that scene. No, because it doesn't feel like there's enough. I think they've done some like weird editing or something like that, maybe gone to another external shot or something, because basically the way that it would end, if you've watched on iPlayer or maybe BritBox, is... It would end. Um, it would. It would end basically as the reveal happens, and then it feels weird to then just have Dance Macabre come in at, right at the end without anything else yeah, said or done. It, it, like Jonathan Creek, the CSI Miami version, where his glasses, yeah, he puts sunglasses yeah. on, and Dance Macabre hits. <laughs> but yeah, what it actually cuts to is Maddie and Jonathan um, coming home from the elephant's funeral. And there's a lot of, like, really crap jokes about elephant funerals. And then Shelford's wife, he was married the entire time, gets out of a car. Shelford is kind of sitting in there sheepishly. She sticks a stiletto up Maddie's nose and kind of, like, threatens her Kratom style. I'm not a violent lady, Miss Magellan, but I'm also not so pig ignorant that I can't see how you've been trying to steal my husband. So I'm giving you fair warning. Keep your lecherous claws off him and your nose out of our marriage, or next time you won't have a nose left. Jonathan makes a joke. Maddie slams the door in his face. Huge relationship stuff going on there. Huge. Massive. Um, But you're right, maybe, just to kind of ponder on why they cut it a little bit, because if you have that scene at the end you have they have to be you have to wonder why they're coming home for a funeral because they're quite clearly been to a funeral jonathan's yeah. in a funeral attire like you know typical black suit white um white shirt maddie is they obviously been to a funeral they're crying and stuff like that if you have that if you want to have that coda you've then got to trace it all the way back I, and have all the elephant stuff in what it. is the so. what's the source of it all it's the elephant dying mm. it's quite literally the elephant in the room <laughs> but the only thing the only thing about that is you don't need the elephant stuff for the kiss to happen so i kind of don't get that because that gives shelf a little the- ending without that you never see Shelford again and there's no reason yeah, why maybe they've just misinterpreted the thing or you can't have that shelf in unless you have the the wife at the end but you're right yeah. though you could just to lose the kiss because of a dead elephant yeah netflix you need to sort it out i know you've like <laughs> you're interested thing is about with Netflix I know you're interested in story that's why you've hired yes. Fincher but yeah. at the same time you're butchering Reconstituted Corpse and we will not stand for it it's literally anymore. called <laughs> it's called the Reconstituted Corpse and you've taken that as an instruction that's not on man they almost ruined this podcast <laughs> <laughs> on the next episode we're only meeting Roy Pilgrim Roy Pilgrim Edwin Drood in No Trace of Tracy Up the Creek is produced by RKG. We make videos and podcasts about games, movies, basically anything fun, including 23-year-old BBC shows about a magician's assistant who lives in a windmill. If you'd like to find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash RKG.